And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it's Tuesday as we get this last week of the month and most importantly, the quarter. Uh, Starting to get it wrapped up here pretty quick. Now, importantly here, as we've been talking about the last few days, that as we approach this kind of end of the quarter, there is some selling pressure that is on the market because of end of the quarter rebalancing. So um, as we've said before, if a, if a portfolio manager or a pension fund, et cetera, and primarily pension funds because they're so large, uh, if they run a 60-40 allocation, well, stocks have had a big run-up this year, so their allocation to equities might now, might now be 65%, you know, whatever it is. Um, bonds are underweight, say 35%. So what they've got to do is sell 5% of equities to buy 5% of bonds. Well, that puts selling pressure on the overall equity market. And we're kind of seeing that pressure here over the last few days. The markets have been selling off, selling off a little bit more yesterday sitting right on top of the 20-day moving average. So this is the first test of support that we've seen here in, in, in a bit. I mean, uh, previous uh, to this, back in, in basically April and May, we had spent about 45 days just kind of going sideways right along that 20-day moving average. Uh, then, of course, beginning in, in kind of uh, mid-May, we really took off have been elevated above that moving average. So again, just kind of retesting this first level of support here. Now, importantly, there's still a good bit of, of, of levels below this that if this selling gets a bit of progression to it, um, the 50-day moving average is a good bit lower. Uh, it's currently right around 4,190 on the S&P 500 right now. Below that is the 100-day moving average, and then the 200-day moving average all the way down at basically 4,000. So there is certainly some room for this market to have a correction further this summer, and a 5 to 10% correction, of course, would not be a surprise at all. Markets are pretty uh, due for, for a bigger, a, a 5 to 10% correction. It's been a while now since we've had that size of a correction. So again, something like that would certainly not be out of the context of being ordinary. Um, we do have a sell signal in place now, fully confirmed as of yesterday. So that MACD sell signal now in place. And the markets, while getting oversold, they're not there yet. So there is certainly some room here that you're going to get a little bit more selling pressure over the next few days, uh, potentially as we get ready to move into the month of July. Now, the month of July overall on the NASDAQ tends to be fairly decent. The S&P tends to have a positive return in July. So again, it's, it, you have this kind of this reflexive bounce in July. Then you get August, September, which tend to be very seasonally weak months. Um, but again, overall, you know, you can just tell by looking at the deviation between the market where it is now and the 200-day moving average, there's certainly uh, some decent risk here for a correction of some sort in here. Now, again, does, does this mean this is starting right now? Doubtful. Uh, futures are pointing up this morning. As we noted in today's morning commentary, it'll be coming out at 730. Uh, a little bit of a reflexive bounce today off this 20-day moving average. This first test of support certainly won't be surprising. We've had quite a few days of selling pressure right in a row. So a day, a day or two of a little bit of a bounce here before we get into the Thursday-Friday period. Won't be surprising. Again, uh, a lot of managers are going to wait till the very last minute to, to sell. And there's about $26 billion worth of potential selling that needs to get done in portfolios by the end of the month. So today's 27th. 
Wednesday, Thursday, Friday's the 30th. That's the end of the month. So again, the next three, you know, might see a little bit of a bounce today, at least at the open, may get some selling pressure in the markets today on, on any bounce, excuse me. Um, but again, that selling pressure likely to persist through the end of the month. Now, once we get into July, uh, might see a little bit of a, uh, again, uh, see a little bit of buying for the next quarter, repositioning, uh, picking up some of those stocks that uh, that pension funds have, have wanted to get into. Maybe they buy those here on this dip. So again, we'll, we'll you know, expect a little bit of volatility here, but as we've been talking about, be a little bit careful chasing stocks at the moment. Again, markets are working through a sell signal and I would wait for this sell signal to complete itself and then look for that opportunity to add exposure to portfolios. So, uh, you know, this is just kind of where we are in the cycle. Uh, we've had a very, very good run here. So uh, again, just, you know, don't be, you know, overly greedy here. Be a little bit patient and look for opportunities to get into, you know, equities that you want to buy, whatever it is. Look for those, look for reasonably good entry points uh, for in investments that you want to make. Okay, so outside of that though, again, we are wrapping up the end of the quarter, um, which also means that we've got earnings right around the corner again. So uh, starting in July, we're gonna get right back into earnings season again. And as we've talked about before, one of the things that'll be important to see is that a lot of companies reported better than expected earnings in the first quarter. They gave us better than expected guidance in the first quarter. And that's really kind of what led to this rally uh, that you had that started really in March of uh, this year, Mar Marxists were kind of selling off on this whole Silicon Valley bank issue. And then we got into April, earnings started coming in better than expected, and the market really just kind of took off here from that point. And, but now the problem is going into the second quarter, everybody's very exuberant about this. Okay, so anyway, here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. The, the markets are looking forward here, and as we just and, and as we talked about before, we are looking for this bit of this quarter end rebalancing as we get ready uh, for the beginning of that second quarter. But the bigger risk to be paying attention to right now, again, also besides this earnings outlook that we're about to get into, but inflation data is something that we need to be looking at very closely. We're now starting to get past these big year-over-year -year comparisons where the, the potential for much lower rates of inflation may start to ebb here a bit, and we might actually start seeing a little bit of an uptick in inflation. Of course, the Federal Reserve has been talking about potentially hiking rates again in the month of July, and that's one of the risks here. While July tends to be a little bit stronger month considering summer months, uh, tend to be weaker overall. One of the things that we're gonna have to deal with in the month of July is potentially another rate hike from the Federal Reserve. And this will potentially come into play if we start to see inflation showing signs of potentially re-accelerating. This is one of the big risks to the markets overall and something that the market has not been pricing in. So ever since this rally from the October lows, this has all been predicated primarily on this idea that inflation's falling back towards 2%. The Fed will stop hiking rates and they will potentially start cutting rates sooner than later. However, the risk to the markets at this point is a reacceleration of inflation that leads the Fed to remain more aggressive. And again, when we start talking specifically about technology stocks, and, and, and you can uh, you know, function this on the function of the triple Qs, which you know part of the Nasdaq primarily weighted technology stocks. These stocks have had a huge run, and these stocks are primarily driven by this idea of lower interest rates and lower inflation because 
These companies in the NASDAQ are what we call long duration assets. They depend on lower inflation, lower interest rate environments because they are primarily predicated, the movement of these is primarily predicated on earnings growth over time and higher rates of earnings growth. So they need an environment that is friendly to create earnings growth. In other words, they need longer time, they need time in order to meet those earnings growth expectations. Again, investors are overpaying for earnings, so we need time. That's why it's a long duration asset. We need time for those earnings to catch up with expectations. The problem for the NASDAQ is going to be a more aggressive Fed. If we start to see inflation picking back up, that's gonna impact these long duration assets negatively. So that'll be the one thing to be paying attention to. But again, as you start to look forward into the month of July, pay attention to what happens next with the Federal Reserve because that should be a key to what happens with the NASDAQ. So that's what you need to know before the bell this morning. And coming back after the break, we're going to start talking a little bit about ESG because Larry Fink has had, guess what, a change of heart. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Oh, Red, I declare. I plum missed that candy coffee. Whatever am I going to do? Don't you worry, little darling. We'll watch it again on our YouTube channel. Why, Red? I never. The Real Investment Show YouTube channel has all of our past presentations from Candid Coffee and Lunch and Learn to special topic discussions and all of our live show recordings preserved for you. Subscribe now to the Real Investment Show YouTube channel or look for the link on our website at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So it was last year, well, actually about two years ago now, um, ESG was really just starting to come about. This, of course, these are these new measures that Wall Street came up with to valuate companies. Right? And it's based on their economic and social and governance and environmental impact, et cetera. And of course, ESG became kind of front and center for BlackRock, Larry Fink in particular. And I've, I've written articles. And if you go to our website, uh, realinvestmentadvice.com and type in ESG in the title, you're going to get several articles that we were writing about the, the fraud that is ESG. There's no way to value companies based on their social footprint. And there's no way to judge this. Again, if I'm buying a company, right, I want things that I can measure. And I can measure earnings. I can measure profitability. I can measure debt levels. I can measure these things, right? This whole environmental social governance thing can't measure it. And especially when you do things like carbon tax credits where I'm just a polluting behemoth, right? I'm a, I'm a, a dirty coal manufacturing company. And I buy a carbon tax credit from somebody else, like, say, Tesla. Um, and then I basically apply that carbon tax credit. And, and now I'm not polluting and I'm carbon friendly because of these tax credits that I paid for. Now, how is that fixing the environment? Right. It's, 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 a, it's a complete sham. 
And so we talked about this for a while. We've written articles about it. Of course, one of the, the primary benefactors of this was, of course, Larry Fink and BlackRock. And it was interesting because they came out with their whole BlackRock ESG fund, which, you know, ironically, if you look at the top 10 holdings, exactly the same as the S&P 500, with one exception, BlackRock stock was in the top 10 holdings. So every time you bought the BlackRock ESG fund, you were buying an S&P fund. It had exactly the same performance, except you were funneling some additional money into the BlackRock stock, which made Larry Fink richer and made him happy. So, of course, he was championing ESG. They were also charging you four times as much for the exactly, exactly the same performance. There was a 99% correlation between the S&P 500 and the BlackRock ESG fund, but you were paying four times more for the benefit of being able to say you own an ESG fund. But it's, it's, it's ridiculous because trading stocks between individuals, as I've explained before, if I buy a stock, but if I buy Apple shares you know, in my portfolio, I didn't send money to Apple to buy their shares. Apple didn't issue me new shares in Apple company, right? I bought my shares of Apple from Brent who was selling his shares of Apple. So all I did was give my money to Brent. Brent gave me his shares. Apple doesn't know anything about the transaction. They go. They don't know what goes on. They know all that Apple knows from day to day is the value of their stock price. They have no idea what shares traded hands between who all day long. So this idea that you're investing in companies that are, that are environmentally friendly is ridiculous because you're not. All you're doing is giving money to somebody else that they're going to go spend their money doing whatever they're going to do with it. Has no impact on the company. Company doesn't care. So it wasn't surprising that after a lot of blowback, when people started realizing this, we were just early to the party to, to break this down. About a year after we were writing our articles, other people started figuring out the same thing. Again, it's not hard to get there. And of course... Recently, states have now picked up on the scam that is ESG and have started saying, well, you know what, uh, we're not going to allow our state pensions to invest in these type of funds. Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis, as an example, uh, long and there's other states that will be heading in this direction, by the way, um, pulled assets out of BlackRock, said that their pension funds won't invest in BlackRock stock or BlackRock funds. That was about $2 billion. Other states have done this already. Uh, if you take a look at kind of a map, there's, there's states that are already taking actions, targeting entities and boycotting certain industries. Actions restricting the use of ESG factors, and those states include Louisiana, Missouri, Florida, um, Indiana, Kentucky, quite a few others. And so there's been this pushback. Of course, that means that there's less funds going into this, and that's hurting the bottom line of companies that promote ESG funds. And here's what's interesting. You know, Larry Fink was caught on video, by the way, stating that because they own 10 trillion in assets, that they can affect company decisions. You know, there's been a lot of pushback on companies that have been going woke lately, you know, Bud Light, Nike, Disney, others. And this kind of woke politics that has been invading these, these companies. So instead of the company just doing what's best, 
Disney, as an example, Pixar, you know, making movies that just making good movies that people want to see. They've been trying to, to push these ideas of this kind of woke agenda into these movies. And they've been failing miserably at the box office, as an example. Well, Larry Fink was caught on tape talking specifically about this, saying, yeah, at BlackRock, because we own so much in assets, we can encourage or force would be another word for it company executives to take certain actions that we want because we can affect their compensation because we vote on the board because we own so much of the stock in these companies so some of these things that you look at and go why are these companies doing this why would target do this and then you know lose 15 billion in market cap over these decisions well, it's because it's coming from their outside investors that have a real influence on on their corporate board decisions, how they get compensated, et cetera. So, you know, uh, in a lot of cases, BlackRock owns such a heavy weight, and this was Larry Fink's conversation. They own such a they have such a heavy position in some of these companies because again, they own ten trillion dollars worth of assets. It's got to get invested somewhere. So a lot of cases, these funds own such a big position in companies, they can go, you know what, if you don't do it the way we want to do it, we're going to vote against your stock option compensation, and we're going to vote against your, you know, your salary increase, et cetera. So companies go, okay, well, <clears throat> you know, I'll go along with you. And that's why. So if you've been scratching your head, going, I don't understand why companies are doing this because it's killing their bottom line, doesn't matter. But it was interesting because... Last month, 17 Republican state attorneys filed a motion with the Federal Energy Energy Regulatory Commission to dispute whether BlackRock could purchase more than 10 million voting stakes in utility companies. See, this is the point. Just last week, uh, Larry Fink was at uh, a convention, or a not a convention, sorry, an investment conference. And he made the statement that he says, when I write these investment letters, it was never meant to be a political statement. They were written to identify long-term issues to our long-term investors. And that's not really the case. He was very adamant at BlackRock. Going, I mean, all he did was run around BlackRock talk, promoting ESG within the whole company. And then pushing these ideas on to companies they had investments in. So whether or not you want to say it was a political move or not, your actions do not, or your actions actually betrayed your, your conversation because you were being politically motivated. You were pushing a political agenda on these companies and it shows up in their actions, which have now affected their stock prices in many cases. So, it's going to be interesting to watch now, um, as we've talked about before. You know, we're we're you know people are, are making a decision to boycott companies like Target, like Disney, like Nike, like Bud uh, Anheuser Busch over things that they have done politically, right? And so, in terms of this kind of this woke attitude, but you're targeting the wrong company. If you really want to change dynamics, you 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 uh, you boycott the companies that invest in these companies, like BlackRock. So don't own any BlackRock mutual funds. Pull your investments from BlackRock. Pull your, pull, and if you've got BlackRock in your 401k plan, swap it to 
a Spider S&P 500 index rather than a BlackRock fund. Take your money out of those funds because that's where you hurt the decision maker, which are these guys that have enough voting block to make companies change their views. So all of a sudden, if you put enough pressure on BlackRock, if you withdraw enough assets out of BlackRock, it will start changing their view about what they do with companies. And instead of them pushing an agenda on companies, they'll say, you know what we want? We want you to make better movies. We want you to do the right thing, cater to your base. We want you to start getting sales up. We need to see better growth in your company because that's what you want as well. So it's just kind of interesting now that this is this worm has started to turn because we were writing about this two years ago. And so it's now it's interesting to see that this is finally starting to come around and the impact has finally started to hit the people that matter, which are people like Larry Fink, who I've <clears throat> previously termed Darth Vader. Um, and making him now back out of this decision because he's now going to no longer be talking about ESG anymore because in his view it's become highly politicized in reality he just got his hand caught in the cookie jar be right back after the break advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com so if you're watching our youtube channel it's the real investment show on youtube you can get to it live through our website as well realinvestmentadvice.com uh, we'll take some questions here in the last segment um, coming up here. But I wanted to touch on today's article that's on our blog site right now. It's called Bull Trap or Bull Market. And the reason that I, I kind of touched on the subject of, you know, a lot of people still convinced right now that this rally we've had since, well, the, we'll just talk about this year, with this rally this year, it's just another bull trap and that, you know, investors are going to get pulled back into a bear trap. And that, that could be the case, right? That could be the case. In fact, um, when we go into the article and kind of look at some of the charts in the article, and, and, and I've got one here for you, it shows you the chart from 2022, just the year of 2022. And what people forget is, is that back in 2022, around those June lows, the market rallied more than 20%, and everybody was like, oh, new bull market, bull market's back, it's a new bull market, and, and it wasn't. 
And in fact, over the next couple of months, the market set new lows by October. So that was clearly a bull trap, right? The markets rallied, everybody got bullish, and then bam, man, so it shut the door on people. And the difference was back then is that there were some technical indicators that told you that that was a bull trap. The 20, the 50-day the moving average was trading below the 200-day moving average. The 200-day moving average was sitting above the market. So again, that rally to that 200-day resistance level, that was key resistance. And the market failed there. The, the, the issue was, of course, is that the market had declined a good bit already. So that 20% rally, while everybody thought it was the beginning of a new bull market, it wasn't. It was just a fairly decent rally within the overall declining trend of the market. So, you know, kind of fast forward to today, and as we start kind of looking, you know, at the differences between the market today and, and where we were back then, there is a very big difference. And so what I've done is I've, uh, I've expanded the chart a bit here, which shows you all of last year and this year. So here's the full cycle of the market from January of 2022 to present. And so you see that 20% rally we we're talking about before. It rallied to the 200-day moving average. It failed, and then we declined to new lows. Now, that new low in October set a new bottom. The difference with this rally is, is that not only is the market trading well above the 200-day moving average now versus where we were trading before, but the 50-day has crossed above the 200-day moving average. So that's what we call a bullish cross or a golden cross. That typically denotes more positive action in the markets. And again, while the market has now rallied a bit more than 20%, we're technically in a new bull market from that standpoint. But just technically across the board, the underlying action of the market is much more bullish than it was before. So a correction back to the 200-day moving average would be a roughly about a 10% correction. And that would certainly suggest that... You know, and if it holds there, of course, that would certainly suggest that you're in a new bull market because now not only are you trading up, you have a correction within that rising trend and the market, you know, kind of works its overbought condition off and then you move higher from there. Now, if the market breaks down and again, if we take a look at what's called a Fibonacci retracement scale. Now, again, just don't get too wrapped up in the technical mumbo jumbo. I explained this in the article, by the way, what a Fibonacci retracement is and how it's calculated. But Fibonacci was a mathematician, and he discovered what was called the golden ratio. And without getting into too much detail, this golden ratio shows up everywhere in life. It's the, the, it's the distance from your elbow to your fingertips. If you take a look at a sunflower, uh, uh, a sunflower, the seeds have a Fibonacci scale to them. Uh, the, a conch shell uh, is, is part of the Fibonacci sequence in, in mathematics. It's just, it shows up everywhere in, in life. Um, and it also shows up in the stock market. And so these Fibonacci retracement levels are just mathematical calculations that suggest that at certain levels of retracement, markets tend to do certain things. And so we've recently had a, a Fibonacci retracement, you know, and, and we got very elevated above moving averages, and we've discussed that before. And so we need this bit of a correction. And so, again, a correction back to where we previously broke out would be entirely normal and still be within a, a bullish trend of the market. Now, if we get a decent correction, 5 to 10%, you're going to hear a lot of commentary on, on in the media saying, oh, see, it told you it was a bull trap. 
And, you know, bear market's coming back. No, it's probably just a correction within a bullish trend. Now, if we break the rising trend line and head back towards those previous lows, yeah, now you're back in the bear market. So, there, yes, the, the, bull, the, the bullish rally could turn back into a bearish decline. Absolutely. Not, I'm not ruling that out at all. What you would need, of course, is the onset of a recession. You know, earnings begin to fall very quickly. You know, really something, you know, happened pretty dire to the economy. That would certainly cause that. But what, but what I'm trying to caution you against right now is be careful with the headlines. This is the whole point of the article. Be careful with these headlines where people are going, oh, it's a, it's a bull trap. You're just getting sucked into a bull trap. Maybe, but there is a lot of differences technically this time to the markets where we are now versus where we were last year during that 20% advance. There's tons of differences. And those differences suggest that this is a bullish rally, not a bull trap, at least for now. And again, could it change? Absolutely not ruling it out at all. If the Fed came out next week and said, hey, we're going to hike five more percent. And we're going to start by half and we're going to hike half a point now. And we're going to do half a point in the next you know, nine meetings after this. Yeah, you'll be back in a bear market pretty quick. So certainly things could happen that would change the dynamic. But right now, again, the bullish trend of the market is certainly higher. And that's why we always go back and, and we, we, you know, we always talk about going back and focusing on our investment rules. Because this is all we can do. Look, it's all, it's all great, fine, and dandy. We can all have an opinion about the markets. We can all have our views and we can all, you know, you know, have our views about the economy and the world. And look, there's tons of crap going on right now. You know, you, you know, you, you've got, you know, conflict domestically in politics. You've got geopolitical conflict going on. I mean, you know, you can just go down the list. You know, we're running up debt. We, we've increased debt by over $600 billion in the last couple of months. Actually, last month, sorry last month because we're having to refund all the money that the the treasury had drawn down to pay bills during the debt ceiling debate so i mean you, you can certainly pull out plenty of reasons to be very negative on economics and markets and those type of things i'm not i'm not debating that issue at all but the markets are bullish right now and so we have to give a nod to what the markets are doing versus what we think they should be doing. And that's why, you know, following a set of rules, staying with your discipline, those type of things, those will keep you out of trouble more often than not. And that's why we talk, you know, that's why, you know, we talk a lot here about sector rotation and, you know, being a little defensive, taking, you know, reducing risk at certain times, you know, those type of things. That's just part of that, that program. So I, I list 15 of our investment rules in the article. So if you go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com and download today's article. At the bottom, I, I put our 15 investment rules in there to help you, you know, kind of give you a guide base of, you know, when you start thinking about taking action in your portfolios, you can go back and look at these rules and go, okay, am I violating any of these rules by doing that? And, and most of these refer back to our emotional biases, right? And really kind of get you to focus back on the functions of portfolio management versus doing things based on our gut instinct. I'm doing this because I don't like this. I think this could be a problem. I'll give you a good example. 
So on Friday, I was doing our podcast with Adam Taggart over at Wealthion. And as soon as we'd finished up, that podcast was when the whole Wagner, Wagner Group issue broke out, right? All of a sudden, I'm getting inboxed by emails from people going, what does this mean? You know, this is, this is going to be terrible. You know, we're going to have a major coup in Russia. It's all about to, you know, this is all about to come flying off the rails. You know, this is going to be terrible. And before I could even answer the emails, it was over. Right. And, and so the, the point was, is that, and, and my point to that is, is be careful with taking these events, right? We're so, we're so hyper focused on all of these events, right? One event to the next. What's going to be the next trigger for the next downturn in the market? Maybe one of them will be, but so far, none of them have been to any great degree. Yes. Housing market has certainly put pressure on on the housing and and you know some of those other areas of the market. There's you know the bank failures certainly apply pressure to markets, but the markets have been fairly res resilient to these impacts. I mean, it's been one kind of one punch after another, and the market keeps being resilient at this point because of all the liquidity, and that hasn't changed. So again, this is so the point of the rules are is is to to move you away from your gut instinct and get you back to a set of technical rules to follow to help you navigate those emotional biases that we have that impact our portfolios over time. Okay, quick break. We'll come back. Um, if you're on our YouTube channel right now at The Real Investment Show, uh, if you put up questions, we'll answer your questions for you because I'm running out of topics. And if not, I'm going to ramble about something that I want to talk about. So it's up to you. Anyway, we'll be right back after the break. Don't go away. daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So welcome back to the show. It's uh, our last segment. Taking some live questions and comments here as well. So if you're on our YouTube channel right now at The Real Investment Show, uh, we appreciate you watching. Make sure you subscribe. Click that little bell icon for alerts. And uh, put your questions in the chat box, and I'll try to get to them. Um, in fact, there's a good good question here. The uh, question is, is now a good time to purchase a new vehicle? Funny you should ask that because I was actually at the mechanic over the weekend. And by the way, if you happen to live around the Memorial Dairy Ashford area, if you happen to live around that area, I encourage you to go to Scott's Auto on Memorial. Uh, fantastic story. This guy went to high school, loved to work on cars, uh, graduated, you know, got out of high school, married his high school sweetheart. I mean, it's 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 the perfect story. Started this little auto repair business, has been growing it for you know 30 years. He's he's, he's my age now. We're we're getting old, but just fantastic service. I mean, this is one of those places you go to where. You know, everybody knows your name and, you know, they take very good care of you and, and they're timely and they're prompt and 
they don't overcharge you and they don't try to sell you stuff you don't need. It's, it's very hard. And, and just I'm telling you this because it's very hard to find places like that. I used to go to another mechanic shop and they were always trying to sell me stuff I didn't need. And, you know, I know I used to build cars when I was growing up. So I know enough about autos to keep myself out of trouble. I don't know a lot about the new cars because of all the computers and stuff, but I know enough to keep myself out of trouble. And when people start telling you that you need stuff that you don't need, you know that they're just trying to make an extra buck off you. That doesn't happen at Scott's. So, but so I, I do encourage you go by Scott's Auto, great place if you need a need a place to get your car fixed. Certainly encourage it. Um, however, uh, we were having this actual conversation about new and used cars, and where the better deal is because I drive uh, a, a used car. I only buy used cars. I never buy new cars. Because basically of the depreciation, you buy a new car, you drive it off the lot, it feels great, right? You got the new car smell. As soon as you drive off the lot, you lose 20% of the value basically because of depreciation. And I just don't like that, right? And cars for me just get me from point A to point B. I, they don't have to be flashy. They don't, you know, just got to get me to where I'm going safely. That's, that's it. My wife's a princess. It's a little different story with her. But with me... Pretty basic stuff works just fine. So I drive a Toyota 4Runner. Um, but anyway, so we were having this conversation about new cars versus used cars and what's a better deal right now. And the reality is, is that used car prices are still high because of a lack of inventory and, and high demand. And that's keeping these used car prices fairly elevated relative to new cars. And this is one of those. This is one of those times. While I just said, right, I you know I wouldn't buy a new car if it was me. But if I was trying to buy a car right now, I would probably look at a new car versus a used car because I can get a better deal on a new car than I can a used car right now. You know, there's a lot of companies right now are giving out uh, manufacturer rebates, dealer incentives, all kinds of things because they need to get these new cars off the lot. And right now, because of a lot of people, they can't qualify for new car loans. They, you know, the interest rates are too high. The payments are too high. So there's kind of an inventory buildup on the new car side of the business. And people that have cars like me that bought them a couple of years ago, right? They're so upset. Uh, and for a lot of these people that were buying these cars using, you know, zero money down, those type of things, a lot of those incentives we had before for used cars, They've got a lot of negative equity in those cars, so they can't sell them and roll that into another car because it's simply just piling on that negative equity and that payment's getting to a point that they can't, they're getting trapped in the vehicles they have. So this is one of those rare things that is happening in the economy that it actually might make sense to buy a new car versus a used car. So again, if you're in the market for again, I, you know, I encourage you to shop both. You should always shop, but just the point is, is that in a lot of cases, let me give you a good example. So my Toyota 4Runner is a 2019 Toyota 4Runner. I bought it used, and I can sell it today for more than I paid for it in 2019 because of what's going on, and that that shouldn't be the case. But that's the problem with used cars right now. Anyway, um, I hope that helps, but I would definitely uh, take a look at both sides of the ledger if you're needing to buy a new car. If you don't need to buy a new car right now and you can wait, I think that we'll see more of a correction in the next year or two in used car prices. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, again, there's an inventory problem. 
but I, I think we could see lower car prices in the next year or so. If you can wait, you, you, you do that. But again, if you got to do it, you got to do it. So I was looking at a 1970s Volkswagen Bug. Nothing wrong with that. Those things, those things last forever. So anyway, um, <clears throat> property tax in Texas are too high. Now states may want to tax our use of roads by the mile. Um, there is actually legislation going on in the state of Texas right now to try to give some relief to property taxes. I'm not sure exactly where we are in that. Uh, there was a, a recall for the vote. So uh, I know they are working on doing some type of property tax relief in Texas. That's been a big issue uh, over the last several legislations here in Texas. Uh, property taxes, they, you know, again, it's interesting. If you take a look at other states that have an income tax, and you say, well, Texas doesn't have an income tax, state income tax. Well, we have property taxes. And if you look at where we rank in the top 50 states, right, by taxation, we're in the middle. We're probably around 25th, 26th of the most heavily taxed state in the union. And it's 50% of our revenue in Texas comes from property taxes. So, a lot of people, and this is kind of a funny thing, right? All these people from California moving to Texas, like, hey, I'm getting rid of my state income tax in California. Well, welcome to property taxes, especially if you live in Austin. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, look, the, the bottom line is you're not going to get off the hook uh, of taxes ultimately at the end of the day. I mean, every government, including ours in Texas, spends, they, they have to spend money on stuff. Now, the good news is, is that we do have a surplus, a budget surplus to a small degree versus other states. So, you know, the, the, the state is run better. But, you know, your kind of your choice is either have a state income tax or have property taxes. It's just you're, you know, just it's how do you want to classify getting taxed? We don't like I don't like it. Right. I, I hate paying property taxes, but it's either that or you pay a state income tax. And, and again, when you look at where Texas ranks, we're about in the middle of the pack. So we're not as heavily taxed as a state like California and New York, which are at the top of the list. And we're certainly not towards the bottom of the list where, you know, the, the, the income tax rates are a lot lower. So anyway, just something to think about. One of the, the issues, too, that's coming up that we want to kind of pay attention to over the course of, of really this summer and then moving into and no, it's not the election. That's, <laughs> but the election is coming up as well. So we're about to get into that whole mess coming up as well. But one of the things that we do need to start paying it, you know, a bit closer attention to is going to be these revisions that we're going to start seeing. The markets won't pay much attention to them initially, but we're we're about to get to that point in terms of the cycle where we're about to start getting the revisions to previous data, economic data, employment data, these type of things. And this is where we start making the uh, annual adjustments to this data. So in other words, employment has been booming, right? We've been every month, we're creating 300,000 jobs, whatever the number is. We're going to get an adjustment to that data. And the reason they do this is that supposedly after you know a period of time, they now have all the official data in. It's all been collected. But it's also where, in theory, some of the political bias is taken out of the data. 
So we get these revisions like, oh, we didn't actually hire 3 million people last year. It was only a million people. Now, the markets won't pay much attention to that initially. And they won't pay attention to the actual data headline itself. When, when this revision comes out, it'll be buried on page six. You won't really know much about it. But you want to pay attention to this because this is going to tell you a lot about ultimately where earnings growth will be. And if these negative revisions, that are, and I suspect these revisions will be highly negative, they're going to start to quantify a lot of the current thesis, right? All of this head scratching we have, we're walking around going, it just doesn't make sense. How, you know, we're looking at this economic data over here, you know, the leading economic indicators, the manufacturing data, all this is, is showing very, very negative rates of growth, but yet we're over here hiring 300,000 people. It doesn't make any sense. Well, when those measures catch up, it'll make sense. You don't go, oh, yeah. But that's also where, because of the lag effect that occurs between you know, economic data and what happens with corporate earnings, et cetera, we'll start to see these, these issues starting to weigh on earnings and those type of things. So if these, and then this is the big issue, and this is why we want to watch it, if the revisions are negative, it's going to weigh on earnings growth and expectations. Right. And that's going to be one of the, the, the things we'll want to pay attention to in terms of our portfolio, because, again, a lot of the bets right now, I know AI is a hot thing at the moment, but it's going to be a, a very hard leap for NVIDIA to justify 40 times price to sales, even in the long term. That's extremely expensive. If these revisions come in negative, that's going to be a, a bigger issue for us to deal with. We'll keep you up to date on it, of course, as always. But, uh, you know, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Send us your questions, comments, emails. Let us know what we can do for you. Always happy to help you. And, yes, I'm going to keep answering emails, by the way. <laughs> that's because your questions are always important. So send us your questions, comments, emails. Let me know what we can do for you. Get today's latest blog post. Get those rules. Print them out. Uh, put them on your desk. So when you start to make an investment decision, just refer back to the rules. It'll help you out a lot, I promise. All right, have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow for the Wednesday edition of The Real Investment Show. Have a great day.